This is Christine Maxfield, and you're listening to When in Rome from Compass Magazine. You may know my next guest best as the guy from Pretty in Pink. That 80s movie became so popular that it's now a cult classic from that decade. This entrenched Andrew McCarthy firmly into a group of young actors known simply as the Brat Pack, but I dare you to think that this is where his story ends. Andrew and I chat in New York about his transition into travel writing and how seeing the world has changed his life, which he touches upon in his new book called The Longest Way Home, One Man's Quest for the Courage to Settle Down. Well, I started traveling for when I was acting, of course. I would go to locations for movies and stuff, but I started to really travel when I walked across the Camino de Santiago in Spain. That's the trip that sort of changed my life, and that was the first time I'd really traveled alone for an extended period of time, and that I had a big, uh, profound experience doing that, so that really sort of opened my eyes to the value of traveling, and to traveling alone, and not just vacationing, you know, so that would, that would have been the first experience at it, doing that, and then I just wanted, I wanted more of that, so I kept traveling then, so I would travel to Africa or something, you know, I'd buy a ticket into Cape Town and out of Dar es Salaam a few months later kind of thing. And, you know, if you're an actor, if you don't have a job by November, you're not going to get one for the rest of the year because of the holidays. So I would take the last couple months of the year, every year, and just go travel somewhere. Mm -hmm. And always alone and just sort of go and, and wander and explore. And then I found it having a big effect on my life and a valuable effect. So I just kept doing it. You touch upon that in your book as well. Yeah. When was the Camino? When did you walk that? That was in about 20 years ago, 93 maybe. Mm -hmm. About that, about 93 or so. So we have something very much in common there as far as solo travel. But what drives you to want to travel solo? Well, I think, I was just talking about this this morning. I just think it's a very valuable use of time. I think that... If you and I travel somewhere, we have our experience of ourself in the place, and we have a wonderful time and all, but there's the illusion, whether it's real or not, you know, we're illusionary of that, you know, we're safer because we're together. So when you travel alone, you just make yourself vulnerable to the world in a way that I think is really useful mm -hmm. and pays big dividends, and I think you confront a lot of your fears when you travel alone in a way that you don't have to if you're traveling with a group or with friends or loved ones, and... I just think it's a much more of a sort of personal growth experience as opposed to just a trip when you're traveling alone and you just come up against your demons and your your limitations and your weaknesses very quickly and you're exposed very quickly when you're traveling alone and you're forced to ask for help and I think that's always a good thing when people are forced to ask for help I think that's an invaluable thing because I think it makes us right-sized again in a way that other things don't. Because the minute you say, can you help me? You're giving up all pretense that you're in charge, in control. And I think that's only to the good. And the courage to do that is often lacking in our daily life. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a valuable thing to do. And you meet incredible people. Absolutely. But I've often traveled places never met anybody. I've traveled for weeks now when I would barely hear the sound of my own voice. And so... I've often traveled places and not met people, you know, which is fun. I've still had a wonderful experience at the, in the places. I just think of traveling alone is just an experience of personal revelation and growth than uh, traveling with someone, which is just 
more an experience of place. Agreed. I feel like if I want to take a vacation, I'm going to go with somebody. You know, if I want to actually experience the place I'm going and the culture, I'm going to go alone. Yeah. Yeah, I even think of it more just like what phase am I at personally? What do I need to do? And then it's not so much, yeah, do I need to go do that? Do I need to take a trip or do I need a vacation? They're very different things. Absolutely. So let's talk about how you got into travel writing then. When did you first start thinking about this? I was taking those trips like we talked about and I started writing down experiences that I had on the road because I found when you travel alone like that, as you know, you become kind of untethered in this way that's just sort of you're drifting and, you know, sort of without past or present, you're just sort of wandering, Mm -hmm. which is a wonderful feeling for a time. And then eventually you want to sort of stabilize a little bit, or I did. So I started, I couldn't keep a journal very well. I wasn't very good at that or very interested in that. I thought it was silly and indulgent, not really capturing what I was trying to capture. So... I just started writing down encounters that I had with people. The first one was I was in Saigon and a kid pulled up to me on a scooter and wanted to show me around Saigon for the day. And mm-hmm. so I got on his scooter and spent the day with him and he showed me around his Saigon. And I wrote that down. I was an actor, so I know scenes, I know dialogue. I've said enough bad dialogue in my life to know good dialogue when I hear it. So I, you know, I know story arc, I know character. I know I just sort of knew that stuff inherently because I've been doing it for so long. So I just wrote down scenes of what happened to me and that's, it would capture my trip to Saigon better than any journal I wrote could. So I started doing that and that, coincidentally, that story, that was the first one I wrote, probably about 800, 900 words of that day was published last year, finally in National Geographic Traveler. Won a Lowell Thomas Award. So it was funny, you know. You know, all I had then was my voice. I didn't know any techniques or skill that travel writing had. I just had my voice and what I was trying to. You know, if I have anything to offer in travel writing, it's that belief that under every story, that every story I write is about, this is amazing. It changed my life. It will change yours. Mm-hmm. So that's the bedrock under every story that I write, whether I'm writing about, you know, Parmaham or going to Tahiti to look for Black Pearls. That's always what's underneath it, and that's what makes my stories have vitality if they have any, or energy, and what makes me good at it, because I believe that, because that's what happened to me. So anyway, that's a a digression. But uh, So that's how I started doing it, and then I was reading a lot of travel books. Paul Theroux's books had a big effect on Mm -hmm. me. I thought his books were great, and I... I just got in my head. I did that for like almost 10 years of just writing stuff down in notebooks and throwing them in a drawer when I got home and doing nothing with them. I had no ambition to do anything with them. And then eventually I just thought, I'd, you know, I'd like to try and do that. And a lot of what the travel writing I was reading through the magazine certainly wasn't capturing my experiences and wasn't capturing what I just talked about. That sort of fundamental underlying belief that travel is a vital, valuable thing and not mm-hmm. a frivolous thing of the rich. Or, you know, they're talking, magazines are often talking about selling places, and I wasn't interested so much in places as in what happened in the places mm-hmm. and what happened to the people in the places. So I just thought I had a different thing to say. And so I met Keith Bellows, the editor at National Geographic Traveler, and I knew somebody who knew him, and he agreed to have a drink with me, and I just asked, said, I should, you should let me write for your magazine. <laughs> He thought that was he said, crazy. You're an, you're an actor, dude. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I said, yeah, but I can tell a story. That's what I do. And 
you know, it took about a year, I suppose, of me cajoling and badgering him, and he eventually acquiesced. I wore him down, and, you know, I just said, look, if it doesn't work, you don't have to pay me. And he said, oh, I can live with that. And yeah. so I did a story on Ireland for him, and it was very good. He said, where do you know well, where it really touches you? And I said, this spot in Ireland, and he said, go there. Hmm. So I did that story, and then it just really grew from there. I just pitched him more ideas and he said, look, this is wonderful, great, you can only do so many for me, but here, go talk to some other editors. <laughs> so I did and it just sort of grew from there, really. So when was that, the first article, published? I don't know when it was published. I wrote it in 2004. Okay. I traveled it and wrote it in 2004, but Nat, Nat Geo tends to sit on things for years. I have I've mm-hmm. stories sat on for three years there. Yeah. So, I mean, I've had them go back and fact check people and the people that quoted were dead. Yeah. So I had to change and swap them out for someone else. I don't know when it ran, but it, it, I traveled it in 2004. So that's eight years ago. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, does it upset you when people still show surprise that you're doing travel writing? You're legitimate. You're winning awards from the Society of American Travel Writers. I mean, you're out there. But do people still show shock? that you're doing this or are you starting to get enough publicity from your book and your articles that it's no longer warranted? That's fine. I mean, that's not, I mean, I, I will, you're going to have much higher profile as an actor than you ever would as any kind of writer. Mm-hmm. Don't tell me that. <laughs> of course. When you think of a single writer that has a profile higher than any kind of movie personality, then no. No, there's um, not. And so that would always, that will always be the case, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I'll always be the guy in pretty and pink to a certain demographic of people. And that's... And you're okay. You're yeah, okay with that. Yeah, that's fine. That's good. The pretty and pink's been very good to me. You know? <laughs> but it's really none of my business. I just go about my business. You know, I also sort of my one foot in one world, one foot in the other. I'm just, I'm directing a television show now. I'm just acting in the thing. I'm going to writing there. I'll just sort of cross-pollinate all the time. I, I find them all this a version of the same thing, which is, mm-hmm. again, just storytelling, you know? So I don't... People are surprised or not surprised. That's really none of my business or my concern. Mm-hmm. You know, what I do encounter is occasionally people's resistance, and that's, you know, editors or something. That I get less and less. Since you win an award, once you win an award, mm-hmm. like with anything, you're then validated, and people you couldn't get on the phone the day before now need to have you. Yeah. And it's, that's just the way it is. And so uh, that made my life easier, winning that uh, first award. So. Yeah. That I was appreciative of, and it was, felt wonderful. But they don't mean anything except that they make life easier. Exactly. Um, You'd still be doing this. You would still be, it's in you that you really well, want to get this out. I, I mean, I'm, yeah, I mean, Keith asked me, why, why do you want to do this? There's no money in here. There's no glamour here. There's no, there's no cocktail parties here. And I said, I don't know. I just, it's something I feel to do. And it's like with acting when I started acting. I felt the same thing when I first time I acted. I said, I need to do that. Mm-hmm. And I just did that. And so I've just followed, I have no skills in anything. I've only followed passions for my jobs. So it was the same feeling. So I just pursued that. And I didn't know why. And so why do you want to do it? I don't know. And I mean, people say, why are you writing articles? Yeah, yeah. For a dollar a word, you're writing this. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not doing it for (laughs) money. But I never did acting for money. You know, I have now in later life since I have children and mortgages (laughs) and things. But, you know, I just did it because I felt... A, a need or desire to do it and so what are other people's reactions is it's inconsequential yeah you know it's a pain in the ass with editors at times 
and you know, life is too short. You either get over it very quickly, you get on with the work, and if they don't, you just go elsewhere. Exactly. I've taken my name off articles. Come on, it's not, you're not doing business. You're just being, your own insecurities are taking over here. Mm-hmm. And so I'm vigilant often to be just very clear so that, because people, you know, people project a lot of their stuff onto, all over the place to everyone. So it happens. People, you know, people are surprised and then people are not surprised. People kind of go, oh, cool. Because it's a cool thing. It's a wonderful thing. It is a thing. cool thing. But it's like anybody that's following their passion, no matter what it is, I want to be a bricklayer. People are like, oh, cool. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like when Daniel Day-Lewis quit acting to be a cobbler. <laughs> people are like, yeah, good on you, Daniel. Go for it, dude. You know, I mean, anybody's doing that. I, I'm interested in anybody's doing whatever they want to be doing, doing it with well and doing it with passion because they want to be doing that. And that shows, mm-hmm. no matter what it is. Because, well, that's why you are doing so well. You're following your passion. Well, I mean, yes and no. I also learned how to do it. You know, I learned what needs to be done. I'll rewrite a story 50 times. I learned, you know, I wouldn't approach a magazine until I knew what kind of stories they ran, how Mm -hmm. they structured them, how they like to run them. I didn't just go, hey, I want to do this. You know, I mean, you do your homework. When I was a a young actor, I got all these jobs in movies and there was no one's hand on the wheel, really. It was all just something that happened to me. They weren't the kind of movies particularly I wanted to be in. They weren't even particularly the sort of A movies at the time. They've turned into these kind of iconic films over time, which is mm-hmm. a whole other thing, and it's lovely and nice to be a part of that. But there was no real structure or guiding force behind that. And so when I started writing, I knew very consciously what I wanted to be doing and why I wanted to do it and who I wanted to write for and why. So by the time I was outed for being the guy in Pretty in Pink thinks he's a travel writer, hmm. that I will have written for National Geographic Travel, the New York Times, the Atlantic. So they go, oh, mm-hmm. huh. You know, so that was very conscious because I knew that day would come and I was very careful to keep them separate at first. Isn't that careful? But I just didn't, you know, you can have entire relationships now over email where you never have to meet mm-hmm. anybody. So I I knew that that would happen one day because a magazine, once they thought it'd be good publicity for them to sort of out me or something, you know, right. like it's going to make any money for them. But And so the, once that happened, by then, I, you know, I'd had that body of work under me so it was easy to support. So my two worlds, when they were ready to come crashing together in a way that was totally fine hmm. but it would have been certainly more difficult at the beginning if it were people thought wait the Brad Packers emailing me with a right. story pitch what <laughs> who cares you know what I mean so luckily I, those were just anonymous and I was just a person on an email and mm-hmm. I've written for this magazine will you consider this pitch so let's talk a little bit about you said that every time you go out traveling it changes you a little bit there's a little bit of growth or something that you discover how then do you come back to people that have stayed here? Is there is there any difficulty jumping back and forth between those worlds? What's it, Paul Theroux said? You, you never come back all the way. Um, mm-hmm. Something like that. But, yeah, well, I think you have to be careful with that. There's a great strength in staying. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy to leave. But, I mean, those, those changes, real changes, are incremental glacial you know and you don't know what they are the minute you come back you come back and you have to empty the dishwasher and that's a drag because <laughs> you didn't have to do that for three weeks yeah that's different than the kind of changes that happen in a deeper level which are imperceptible i think at first any of those changes hopefully bring you closer to your your true nature anyway and that is only a good thing in any relationship so i think it's all to the good bringing that home but I don't think it's okay to come home and kind of go I've had this amazing experience this is so mundane right I mean of course everyone feels that way they come back and they're like oh man 
So, I mean, that's, that's a kind of travel snobbery that I, you know, those are the same people that say I'm a traveler, not a tourist. So, you know, there is a certain, I've said, there's a certain infidelity that happens when you travel. And I don't mean getting laid, you know, there's a, there's a certain intimacy that happens between you and the world when you travel alone that is yours and yours mm. alone. Mm. And you just bring that back to the person that you love, you know. But it's definitely a private thing. You can't explain it. You can tell them and stuff, but you can't. And you just have to allow that person to have had that. Mm-hmm. So you still have a house in Ireland? I do have a home States. in Ireland. Yeah, my wife's Irish. Are you going to talk about moving there indefinitely? No, not at this no. point. I mean, our kids are very young, so they're still in school here. So we would certainly not go anywhere at this point. But, you know, your life, you never know. You never know. But at this point, no, there are no plans to Ireland. I'd much rather move to Hawaii than Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> and what about a new book on the way? Are you working on something? Well, I've been working on a novel for a number of years before I did The Longest Way Home, and that idea just came to me very quickly and sort of asserted itself. Well, it was not a book that I felt an urgency to write, and I thought on a business level it was more a smarter book to come out with first mm -hmm. than, oh, the Brat Pack actors written novel. Great. <laughs> right. So I thought it was a more legitimate platform, the sort of travel memoir platform to come out on. That was a consideration, certainly, but it was it was a book I just felt a sort of imperative to write, so I was glad to do that. And so I put this novel aside for about a year and a half, and I've just gone back to it now, and it's almost finished, and out into the world. And we won't divulge anything yet. We'll wait till the unveiling. It's about a marriage. Okay. <laughs> it's about a 30-year marriage. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, so let's go over the Traveler's 10 Questions. What travel book makes you want to pack up your bags and hop on a plane? Any Paul Theroux travel book. Mm. The yeah. first one I read was The Old Patagonian Express. That I've stayed with me. Mm -hmm. The Happy Islands of Oceana, I think, also stayed with me. Uh, yeah, I, I, any of his books make me want to go. Mm. And what destination do you consider a best-kept secret? I don't know if there are any anymore. Well, I have to say, the west of Ireland, you can still find some pretty... Quiet spots in the west of Ireland. Hmm. You know, Ireland's one of those places that it fits your the preconceived notion you have in your imagination of it. You know, hmm. there are those people out there living those lives in those green fields that are going to those pubs at night. You know, it's the real deal. But I don't know. I don't know that I. Uh, I don't know. What's yours? You got one? You can't turn it around on me. <laughs> Let me think. Yeah, well, when you were talking about Tahiti, black pearl diving. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's some islands uh, out in, like, Fakarava yeah. was an amazing island. Out in the mm. Tuamotus are very remote. Yeah, where, where were you diving? Because I did that. I'm wearing some of the pearls right now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was in uh, Rangiroa and okay. Fakarava a couple times. I've been down the Tuamotus a couple times. Yeah. Um, yeah, there, I mean, that's pretty remote stuff. How about Ahe? I wasn't there, no. No, oh, it's incredible. So I'd have to say that's that's a little bit of paradise there that... I wish more yeah. people would go to. I mean, you're really on the edge of the, when you're out there on some of those motus out there. You're out on the edge of the world there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when the Pacific is crashing ten feet to your left and then twenty feet to your right is the lagoon, and it's like yeah. you're in a tiny little spit of land. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. That's Supplies fun. come in that's once fun. a week from yeah. a, a boat. Yeah, it's great. So, what site should be seen at least once in a lifetime, and why? It could be historical, national park, or what site? Mm-hmm. The Grand Canyon's pretty cool. It's very cool. <laughs> Grand Canyon's pretty... I was just thinking about taking my kids out there. Nice. Yeah, the Grand Canyon's pretty amazing. What and where was the most memorable meal you've had while traveling? 
I'm not a big foodie. I don't I'm experience either. places through food generally. But that's said, I've had some memorable meals. I, I, I had a bowl of lemongrass soup in Laos 20 years ago that I was, I've always remembered. Still sticks with you. Yeah, I remember the table I was sitting at and sort of the thing and lifting the spoon to my mouth and being shocked by the taste. Huh. So that was probably one of the best meals I've ever had. What was your most nerve-wracking experience on the road, and how do you think other travelers could avoid it? Well, getting hassled is a state of mind, you know. It's your own problem getting hassled. I can get hassled in a taxi coming down here, mm-hmm. or I can be like it was arrested in Ethiopia, and it didn't seem to phase me. So I just think it's all how we deal with stuff. It's not what happens. It's our reaction to it that is the issue. But I suppose, you know, we're... They're doing things their way, not our way. We're there, there, we're at their house, so yeah. <laughs> that's what we, so they do it. We do it their way, but I think it's all just a state of mind, I suppose. You know, mm. not particularly anything. And um, what passport stamp still eludes you? Oh, there's tons of places I want to go. Just talking at lunch with somebody about Bhutan and Burma. I'd like to get yes. to Burma before the McDonald's does. There's tons of places I want to go. You know, I was just talking about Argentina. I, was th- I have been to Argentina, but I'd like to go back there. I, I, I'd go anywhere. I'm very curious to go sort of anywhere, really. So there's there's tons of them. <laughs> Paul Theroux Ar- just wrote a very good article that was in the paper the other day about all the places he hadn't been. Huh. It was very reassuring to know that Paul Theroux hadn't right. been to all these places. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I've been somewhere Paul Theroux hasn't been okay. I'm right. okay though. <laughs> yeah. What is your most cherished souvenir and why? I don't really accumulate stuff. I bring my kids back little trinkets, which they seem to like, but I don't really accumulate stuff. Do you take photos? I started to take photos. Okay. I've started to. I didn't for years because I made my living sort of as an actor and being photographed, so I just photos I didn't, but I regret that now. And I've started taking photos, and particularly with writing, I take for a lot of the different, whatever I'm writing for, it's often they want me to take photos too, which mm-hmm. I really don't like having an assignment where I have to be responsible for photos as well because it's an entirely different mindset. It is. You know, so I don't really enjoy that and I'm not a great photographer so technically I don't know my way around my camera so I find that very frustrating and limiting and I don't like being in two places when I'm doing a story but I do take pictures now. I like to have sort of like one shot from each place. It's sort of like Mm -hmm. that. That was that. Nice. What's the most interesting customer tradition you discovered abroad and did you bring it back home with you? Next question. <laughs> no idea. What's your biggest piece of advice for aspiring travelers? Just go. Go go far. Go alone. Mm. Stay gone for a long time. Because the, right when it gets terrible, that's when it's going to start to get good. Hmm. I like Just that. past the terrible point. And you can always come home. Just stay another day. Just stay one more day mm-hmm. until it gets good. Because <laughs> it always will. That's where the change occurs. Yeah, I agreed. What's the most profound lesson you've learned around the world? Sounds like you just told go, me. Go, far, <laughs> go far, go Yeah, that. Nice. Well, Andrew, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Sure. Thank you. Andrew later admitted to me that he does have one custom that he brought back to the States from his beloved adopted home of Ireland, and that is the simple pleasure of an afternoon cup of tea. So please do yourself a favor and pick up a copy of Andrew's new book, The Longest Way Home, on Amazon or in all major bookstores, because it really is a wonderfully written memoir. And make sure to follow Andrew's travel adventures on Twitter at Andrew T. McCarthy, 
or on his website, www.andrewmccarthy.com, because you never know where his passion may lead him to next. And until next time, get out there and set the world on fire.